You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley, titled Construction Obstruction, from the series Haggai, The Time Is Now. For more info, visit creekside.org. We're going to start a new series today. I've been telling you that this year we want to focus on the Word and um, that's what we're doing. We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to do a couple, set up a couple of series uh, through the years. I might do one topical series after Mother's Day just on raising kids and, 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 and family. I haven't done that for a number of years, and it's been a long time since I've talked about raising kids. And I want to just maybe share a couple of weeks on some principles of that because I think it's so important uh, just to talk to some of our parents and everything in this age and this culture. But I want to talk today from an Old Testament book. It's a guy, it's a minor prophet. And he's not a minor prophet because he didn't make it to the spiritual major leagues or anything. He's called, they're called minor prophets because they're small in stature. And what I mean small, short. Uh, the book we're going to look at today is about 1,300 words in two chapters. It's the second smallest book in the Old Testament right behind the minor prophet of Obadiah. And uh, this is my favorite minor prophet that we're going to look at. And his name is Haggai, or some people pronounce it Haggai. Uh, either one is good. I just happen to learn, and I call him Haggai. So if you want to turn, turn to the book of Haggai. It's in the Old Testament, and it's right after Zephaniah and right before Zechariah. Does that help you? <laughs> Probably not, but it's... Uh, uh, if you look, it's uh, page 1144 in my Bible, and if you get it about two-thirds of the way through, you'll be getting close, because I know some of these little minor prophets, you know, probably some of your pages are still sticking together there, uh, because it hasn't been, he hasn't been observed or read from, but uh, I encourage you to, to, to find your, your way there. Have you ever had this unsettling feeling that, man, by this time, this point in my life, I expected more? By this time, I thought I'd reach this, whatever this is, that there'd be something different or something better. Have you ever, have you ever had that? I mean, it could be, it could be, you know, it comes at any stage of life. You know, when you're in college, you're getting ready to graduate, and all of a sudden, you, you've got this, you're getting ready to get this degree, and you go, I don't know what I want to do with my, I don't have a clue. There's, there's got to be something more. Or maybe you're out of college, you got this degree, and you thought, well, man, I'd have a real job with good benefits by now because I paid all this money to get this degree. Instead, I'm doing something that seems a little bit beneath my personal capacity and what I went to school for. <laughs> there, there's got to be something more. Maybe for some of us, you're at this stage in life where you thought, man, I thought I'd be married by now. What's, what's, what's the deal? I thought there'd be more. Maybe some of us are married and you thought, wow. I really don't like the person I'm married to. <laughs> I really thought it'd be something more or something better. I mean, let's be honest. There's a lot of us could, could be living there. Maybe you thought kids would fill that void. Now you got kids and all you are is busy and broke and tired. I thought there'd be something more. It's kind of the backdrop of what's taking place here in the book of Haggai. The people are saying that, well, man, I thought, I thought there'd be just a little bit something more by this time in our nation and in our lives. 
So I want to give you the backdrop. I want to give you the backstory, the historical context that leads up to this little petite but powerful polemic from the prophet Haggai. King Solomon, who was David's son, built this beautiful ornate temple for God's presence. Now you understand that in the Old Testament, God's presence reside, resided in a place so that people could kind of experience and see that manifest presence of God. He lived, he, God's presence was seen in the tabernacle. And then it was seen in the, the cloud by night, and, excuse me, the fire by night and the cloud by day to guide them, to protect them from the sun, to give them warmth in the evening. We see the manifest presence of God in those ways. And then David had it out in his heart to build a temple, but God said, no, you're a man of bloodshed. I'm not going to have you do it, so, but I'm going to give it to your son to do. And so Solomon builds this beautiful ornate temple that people would travel from all over the, the, the regions of that time to go see the beauty of it. Over time, though, as, as Solomon died and, 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 and the people just do what people do, they begin to turn their backs and their hearts away from God, this, this part of the nation of Israel, Judah. And they begin to worship foreign gods and they begin to worship foreign idols and they begin to follow the ways of the, of the, the, the nations and the peoples around them. And God started to warn them through the major prophets, through the minor prophets. He would raise up people and speak to them and say, bring your heart back to me, follow me. Leave those other foreign nations and their beliefs and their gods and their idols, Be, follow me. But as happens with people, they just kind of said, now we're going to do our own thing. We're going to go our own way. And God warned them. He said, if you don't do this, I'm going to send, I'm going to send the warring nations around you to take, on, to take on Israel. He sent Assyria. And then to take on Judah, he sends the, the Babylonians led by King Nebuchadnezzar. In 586 B.C., they come and they attacked and they pillaged and they destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And they took these people uh, captive and they become slaves for 70 years in this foreign country. Think about that. If you were enslaved for 70 years right now in your life, what would happen? Think of where your kids would be. Think of where you would be. You would, so a lot of us would die in captivity. And then our kids would grow up in it. So after 70 years, Finally, there God raises up this King Darius and he begins to release them and he lets 45,000 people of these people in enslavement and captivity, he releases them to go back to their homeland, Jerusalem. Think about that, 45,000 people. That's probably a little bit more than the city and town of Martinez. So they are excited. They return to Jerusalem to remember and to find it. In ruins, the protective walls around the city had been broken down. The temple was still destroyed, but they returned free with these high hopes. And they begin to rebuild this, this temple, and they get the foundation set and laid. But all of a sudden, they become distracted. They started building their own places, as we'll see in chapter 1 today. They start focusing on their own homes, on their own things. And for 16 years, they neglected and left God's temple in continued ruins. And that's really important because remember what I said. See, God's temple, his presence resided in it. So, they, so as this temple was in decay, it, resembled, it really represented for them a decayed relationship with God. And his presence wasn't manifest in their midst. 
And it's always the presence of God that brings blessing to our lives. I remember when we were actually back in 1999, we, were, uh, we, we took out this wall here because we, need, we moved from the little room in there to we wanted to move into here. And uh, we figured out, okay, how are we going to do this stage? We ended up taking out all this. Well, the, the contract, have you ever had a bad, difficult building program? Like a house or a remodel? Have you ever had that happen? Well, here, the guy said, okay, listen, this is pretty easy. We can knock this out in three months. Well, okay, so we were shooting for Easter of 1999. So this is what happens. This place is it's a skeleton during the week before we're supposed to meet in here in Easter. And everything is moving along, and I come in here on a Saturday morning before Easter. And uh, we're, we're having a big outreach over across the street over here in the park. And we had the outreach, and it's the first Easter in the history of Martinez where it snowed. So, so we did our outreach from like 10 to 1, and then it started snowing, and it wasn't like didn't stay, but it was snow it was so cold. I mean, it went like dropped like 20 degrees in about an hour, and it was pouring down rain, and so we're cleaning up and getting everything done. And I come over here, and my contractor, I'm talking to him, and all of this is wide open except for some studs. He had promised it would be done by Easter, covered up. I walk over about 2 o'clock, and he goes, hey, man, sorry, got to go. I got a, I, got a, I got a thing I got to do. I got a family thing. It's Easter. And I go, I got a church service here tomorrow. He goes, sorry, man, good luck, you know. Bless God, hallelujah. And he leaves. He was a Christian. And so, so here we are, and we're doing this building program, and, and, and he's promised to have it ready by Easter, and we got no other plan because at that time we couldn't fit everybody over there, and we, couldn't, we didn't have time at 2 o'clock in the afternoon to change service. So I had these great guys, uh, worked for the, a couple of them worked for the fire department and everything. You know what they did? Um, they went, they went to the different fire stations and they got all of these red tarps. And so it was the first time in the history of Creekside Church that we had stained glass windows. And uh, <laughs> no kidding, we worked till 2.30 in the morning and they've had all of these red tarps. And uh, we froze during Easter, but we had tarps. It was covered because it was just a nasty weekend. But, you know, I'm talking, and all of a sudden in the back of me, I'd hear a, you know, because the wind is blowing and, and everything. See, that's the problem with building projects, isn't it? I mean, sometimes they just take a lot longer than expected. And, and that's what's happened here. But, but, but as we talk about this for the next couple of weeks, don't get lost in the actual building project. Because God raises up this, this, this minor prophet. His name is Haggai. He's a major player. And he begins to inspire these people to consider their present spiritual economic situation in light of what God had for them. And he says to them, listen, I'm going to call you back to the work that I have for you. And he says this a number of times throughout this little book. He says, the time is now. The time is now. He's not real effusive, but he's very effective as a leader. He's a no-nonsense, straight-speaking leader. His words are incisive, and they're biting, and they're filled with challenge. I liken him. I'd say he's like an alarm clock. Nobody likes an alarm clock in the morning, but you've got to have it. And that's what Haggai was. It'd be like a ding-a-ling-a-ling. He was a spiritual pragmatist. If he had a prayer meeting, it would be in the evening after everybody put in eight hours building the temple. There was none of this super spiritual fluff. 
He was a total pragmatist, no-nonsense, get-her-done kind of guy. Trust God, but work. So Haggai comes to these people that initially they had high hopes, and those high hopes quickly dropped to apathetic indifference. But by the end of the book, he's going to call them back to their high hopes and the aspirations that God has for them and the blessings that God wanted to bestow upon them. The structure of Haggai is its four messages, as you'll see on your program there. I think we're going to do three of them. Uh, we're actually going to do four of them, but we're going to do them in three times because one came on the same day. This took about four or five months, these, these talks that he gave to inspire these people to move forward to really rebuild the temple. So I want you to see, I want to talk about two points of obstruction that, construction obstruction that, that Haggai had to deal with. And then we're going to talk about some positive points at the end. Gives them hope, because that's what a good, hopefully a good preacher always does. They can challenge the socks off you, but in the end, they'll always give you hope, because that's what God does. So let's pick it up in verse 1. We're going to look at the first couple of verses. It says this. Now, in the second year, one of the powerful things about the book of Haggai, everything is dated very clearly. So we know we can follow it. It's historically, it's, it's, it's historically documented. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord, you'll see that all the time. The word of the Lord came through Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, who is the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of hosts says. These people say. You hear that? These people say. I'll come back to that. The time has not come for the house of the Lord to be built. Things have been lying dormant for 16 years. And they say, yeah, you know, it's not the time. It's interesting because the, the, the Lord God is speaking to, to Haggai and he wants them to speak this message. And when he talks about his people, he says, these people, if you read throughout the Old Testament, you know what God always says? He always says things like this, my people, my people, if my people will humble themselves, if my people will turn back to me, if my people. But here he goes, these people. You see, just a little bit of uh, emotional dissonance here with God and his people. You ever do that at home? I remember growing up, uh, when, I was, when, when Trina had our young boys, you know, I'd come home from, from the office, and if there were problems, she'd look at me, and she'd go, you know, look what your boys did. <laughs> you ever do that? And then they'd come home from school with stars, and they'd go, look at my boys, look at my boys. And I think God's kind of doing this. He doesn't have a wife, though, that he can say that to. But he goes, these people, Haggai, I need you to talk to them. And so he kind of, he goes after them. They arrive back. They're excited for this opportunity to get back to their homeland, to be able to rebuild the temple. The progress gets hindered by two major things. Number one, external external happenings because what was taking place is the Samaritans were attacking them and wanted to, to remove them from their homeland and keep them from reestablishing their presence. But then internally there was strife and there was division and they became distracted and discouraged by all of it. And so they just basically said, eh, forget it. Too much work, man. This is hard. This is hard. Let's just build our own places. You ever notice when we face opposition, we think it must not be God's will? I mean, whew, it just got hard. It's more difficult. I'm becoming more and more convinced that often the closer we get to doing something that matters to the heart of God, 
the more important it becomes and probably the closer we are to God wants to do. The, the harder something becomes, it matters more to the heart of God and for his kingdom. And whenever you do that, whenever you move in that direction, you're going to face opposition. I remember uh, when we first started 40 Days in the Word, I got emails probably four or five different people who said this, you know, PT, I signed up for this thing. I really, you know, I'm not sure. I really wish I would have now because nothing but difficulty has come. And here's the deal. Whenever God calls you to make a new step, whenever God calls you forward, whenever God is doing something new in your life, guess what? There's going to be some opposition. Opposition isn't a sign that God's against you. Now now hear me, because I just said a minute ago that when these people weren't doing the right thing, God said, listen, I'm going to send the Babylonians to conquer and to attack and to take you down. You have to be able to discern when that opposition comes because of your stuff, not God's. Because God was simply trying to get their their attention to draw them and to bring them back. But with these people, he had already given them the promise and the mandate and the call to rebuild. And he's simply bringing them back to that. What I've learned over the years when things are difficult for me personally or around here professionally, it usually means a new season of growth and pruning. I was looking at something, I was looking at some of my journal stuff here recently, and, and I looked at some really significant happenings around this church. There was three times that we, we, we just, I mean, we just, we just, I mean, it was like a head-on collision stuff. Hardest things to ever face. And in that process, you know what happened? By the tail end of it, I mean, I wanted to duck. But by the time we were done, it ushered in a new season of growth in what God wanted to do. Here's the thing that I'm learning is that whenever you face these things, God always says, how are you going to respond? You're going to respond with humility? and hear me and do what I call you to do, or are you going to respond with pride and make it about you? The moment we start, loved ones, to move forward in obedience to what God has called you to do, it's very likely that spiritual opposition will come against you. There will be inward attacks, and there will be outward attacks. And you got to be ready for them. One thing that I've said to people over the years, I think it's probably the one thing that people, probably the one thing that people remember that I've said in 25 years. I talk about this. I've always said that um, when, when you come to big decisions and difficult roads in your life, always take the hard road. Well, what do you mean? Well, the, the principle I learned that is that's what Jesus did. Jesus always took the hard road. When you read the Gospels, you'll see these words, and this is what people remember, is Jesus set himself toward Jerusalem. What does that mean? What he was saying is, is Jesus set himself to die for the sins and the lives of humanity, to redeem the world to the Father. That was his purpose. But it was also the hardest road to take. I mean, even up to the Garden of Gethsemane, he was ready to bail. He prayed, if I can get out of this, oh, no, forget it, forget it, forget it, forget it. Let your will be done. And he stayed with the hardest 
decision. I heard a pastor a while back said kind of the same thing with a little different twist, but the way he said it was, was much cooler. And this is what he said. He said, with God's help, choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Isn't it easy to lose focus of Jesus? When we're facing opposition, we start focusing on ourselves, and it was hard, and it's right to continue to build the temple. And it was easy to begin to focus on building their own homes, as you'll see in just a moment. See, it's easy when someone hurts you, it's hard and right to forgive as Christ forgave you. See, forgiveness doesn't mean that there's not going to be consequences. But everything we do always has to be enveloped and covered by forgiveness, even as Christ forgave us. It's easy to spend more money than you have, isn't it? Go into debt. It's hard and it's right, though, to climb out of debt and then to learn to live below your means so that ultimately one of the objectives of your life financially is that you, become, that you can become a generous person for people that might have need. It's easy to float and say, ah, I really don't need to make a difference, but as followers of Jesus with God's help and His Spirit, we have to choose the hard right over the easy wrong and just float through our Christian existence and say, I don't have to make a difference. That's what the prophet Haggai is coming and he's doing. And he wants to help to empower them. He wants to help to empower these people to move forward. I want you to consider for, for a moment, is there some unfinished assignment in your life? And I want you to listen and kind of look at this talk, hear this talk through the possibility of two lenses. The first lens would be this, is there... Is there this kind of this unfinished assignment that God's called me to that I need to do? It could have been given yesterday, a month ago, a decade ago, 20 years ago. But you know, God's spoken to you and you know that it's unfinished and he's called you to do it. Maybe it's to reach out to that person in compassion. Maybe it's to share your faith to that person that's just really hard to share with. It's hard and it's right. Maybe I was supposed to do something in church to serve somewhere, but I've just, I've just not done it. It's hard, and it's right. Maybe I was supposed to start journaling so I can get, help me get more spiritually in shape. It's hard, and it's right if that's what God's spoken to you. Well, that could be you fill in the blank. I'm just giving you examples to kind of get you thinking, but there's a second set of lens, and this is the only other glasses I've got, so forgive me. But here's the second thing that I want you to see. Not only is there, not only to hear this, actually the next couple of weeks, this, these talks, is it something unfinished, but also is there something unfinished in your temple? See, for many, God may speak to you in the same way that he spoke to these people through the prophet Haggai. You'll see as we go through this that he says this a number of times. Now is the time. Now is the time. Think carefully about your ways. That's what, that's what the prophet's going to say to these people. As I said earlier, God's presence was seen and it was kind of restricted to these for these people, it was restricted to the tabernacle and to the temple in the Old Testament. That's where they saw the manifest presence of God. That's not true today, is it? This is simply a sheep shed, a gymnasium, a sanctuasium. God's presence is not here until you come in. 
We forget that. God's presence is not resident here unless you are here. Because this is what the scripture says for New Testament Christ followers, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wow. That's kind of big when you think about it. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says it's you are being built up into a spiritual house. We, you, me, we are the temple. And we're going to see at the end of the chapter that, this, that, 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 that Haggai isn't just dealing with this process of, of a building, the temple for God, but he's talking about the manifest presence of God, that the glory of God would reign and it would be seen throughout that region. And ultimately, loved ones, that's what we, that's what we live for here. It's not that this would be a cool place, but that it would experience the manifest presence of the living God, not only for our lives, but for the people around us. And that's what we're going to see, the glory of God. But before you get there, there's things that God wants to do. And I want you to see in these next couple weeks today, I want you to see this book through those two lenses of, is there something that God's called you to finish? And see... God speaking to you, not about this place, but about your temple. What needs to be reclaimed? What needs to be remodeled? What needs to be redone? If you look at verse 3 through 6, we're going to look at, it talks about the issue, the obstruction, where they didn't have their priorities right. It says, the word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses? We'll talk what that is. While this house, my house, lies in ruins. Now the Lord of hosts says this. I want you to think carefully about your ways. He'll use that phrase a number of times throughout this passage because he's challenging these people. Listen, it's about your heart, but it's also how you think. He says, I want you to think carefully about your ways. See, the, the, the Christian faith is not simply all about emotion. You've got to think about it. God speaks to your mind and your heart. He says, this is what you have done. You've planted much, but you've harvested little. You've eaten, but you've never had enough to be satisfied. You've drunk, you've been drinking, but you haven't had enough to become drunk or filled, have your thirst satiated. You put on clothes, but man, they're just not up to style and they can't keep you warm. You're a wage earner. And what a powerful picture. He says, you're a wage earner. You carry this little bag around. You come home and you get paid. And you got this money and you go, oh, wow, oh, paid it, yahoo. And all of a sudden it goes in, but it just seems to go out. So, wow, I got a few pennies left. You ever feel that way? Yeah, see, it just, it just, that's what they were doing. They were dealing with all of these things. It says, the Lord of hosts says this, think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills and bring down timber. We'll come back to that in a second. See, God asked them through Haggai to, 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 to uh, this question concerning their priorities. Do you really say that it's not time to build here? Do you really say that my house should stay in ruins while you're working on yours? Think carefully about your ways. Now, a lot of preachers could use this to go, you know what? We need more money. We've got to build this house. But that's not where I'm going. Because that's not what this text is really about. 
It's really about them and their lives experiencing the manifest presence of God. And loved ones, it's about you and me experiencing the, the presence of God continually growing in our lives. And he says, well, what, what about your paneled houses? You've got these paneled houses. Some of the commentaries and the scholars that I've been reading, they really said what, that, what that's referring to is they went into this high end of living. In our vernacular, man, they had, they had these great granite, they had these great granite uh, countertops. They had the best, newest flat screen that covered their wall. Everything in their house was beautiful and updated. You've got the best, and God's got the least. You've got everything you want, but you don't have God's presence. And because you don't have God's presence, you're never full enough. You're never entertained enough. You're never happy enough. You're never joyful enough. And you never have enough money, even though that's all happening. Oh, I thought I'd be further along by now. See, God's not against us having things. You know me. I've never said that. God's against us putting things and prioritizing them over his life. God's not against us having nice things. He just doesn't want nice things to have us. And he's calling these people back. It's not about the stuff that you got. It's about the presence that you need. Mine. So these people, they're, they're, they're putting their own comfort ahead of God's house and God's priority. And I, I think I just want to graciously but nudge you a little bit. Are, are you trying to make a name more for yourself than you are trying to make a difference in the kingdom. Are you kind of taking care of your stuff and polishing your stuff versus what God says, I want you to do this. I've called you to do this. Give careful thought to your ways, God says. God wants us to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. This past week, I wanted to please someone that I love. And it would have involved taking an easy, wrong road. And I mean, I was set to do it. And then I remembered a recent word that the Lord had spoken to me. And I said, uh-uh, no way. Not on my watch. Not at this time. Not in this way hard right, here I come. And I got some people to begin to pray for me. And as I began to pray for, as they began to pray for me, I, I just felt that, man, all of a sudden, man, I was girded up with gall. And I've had this happen a few times, and I just said, okay, good, here we go. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word that I can stand on. It is not time to take the easy wrong. Some of you right now, maybe there's something in your life where you know God's called you to do, and like me, it's just, I just wanted to take the easy way. I'm not kidding you. It's like, I'm in this place in my life, and I got to, you know, I just want some ease. I want some comfort. So one of somebody, one of the guys' group brought me seized candy, so I went and had about 14 pieces of that. <laughs> so that was my easy road. But some of you, it's possible. You're not satisfied with things. You're longing for something more and you're thinking about taking the easy road. 
God says, that's not the way do I go. But maybe you've done that a lot in your, you've done that kind of at different points in your life. Dr. Phil would probably say something like this, now how's that working for you? <laughs> because it doesn't. Wherever you go, there you are. See, the very process of trying to live for ourselves, taking the easy way, is always counterproductive because all we gain seems to go through the bags. We'll drink and it's never enough. We'll eat, it's never enough. See, Jesus said it this way, Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek me first and my kingdom and my ways. And then what? all of these other things are going to be added to you. Oh, it's not going to be everything you want, but it's going to always be everything you need. Don't seek things. Seek Jesus. Haggai would say, do it now. Alexander the Great conquered the known world at age 33, and he had a historian who was traveling with him, and he said, Alexander, man, you've done all this. I mean, you're just, you're 33 years old. You've got the world in your hands. Tell me, I want to report, how did you do it? And he gave him three words, and he said this, do it now. And see, loved ones, that's sometimes where we need to go, is we need to do it now. But God speaks to us, we need to do it now. We'll look at verse 7 and 8 and says this, the Lord host says this, think carefully about your ways. Some of your translations will say, consider your ways. Go up into the hills and bring down lumber, build the house. Then I'll be pleased with it and I'll be glorified. That's the focus of all God does, that he wants our lives, our stuff, everything we do to bring glory to him. He says, you expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. So these people, they're looking to build the temple, but it's hard and it's not going well. There's opposition internally, externally. There's selfish things that they want to do for themselves. I want you to see in this passage how loving God is. He says, listen, I want to challenge you. I want you to think carefully about what you're doing. But here's the deal. I'm going to give you the steps. I'm going to give you the process. I'm going to tell you how to do it. Go up, bring down, build. Go up to the mountain. Well, hey, wait, man, that's kind of hard. I mean, have you seen that mountain? That's big. Yeah, I've seen it. But the resources that I have provided that you can't provide are there. See, I can, build, I, can, I can plant and I can grow the trees. You can't. So what I want you to do, though, is to work with me. And I want you to go up there. I've provided them for you. And that's what I've asked you to do. God does what we can't do so we can do what we're supposed to do. And that's this. Take the hard right, not the easy wrong. Then bring it down. <laughs> God, man, those are big trees. That's hard. Yes, but I provided for you. And I'm giving you the steps. I'm giving you the instructions. I'm not going to give you anything you can't do. You just need to build it. You need to build your temple, my temple for me. And God would say the same thing to us, loved ones, that we've got to build our temple. He's given us the resources. He's given us his word. But we've got to get it. We've got to use it. This is what builds our life and our soul. He says, here it is. I provided it for you. 
And then he says, oh, by the way, you've got prayer. That's hard, Lord, man, it takes time. Okay, I know, but you got to do it. If you want to grow, if you want to change your temple, refurbish, reconnect, redo your temple. Oh, and I've given you this Holy Spirit that can speak to you, give guidance for you, lead your ways, convict you when things are not right in your life, in your temple. But you've got to agree. You've got to work with me. You've got to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. So go up, bring down, and start to build. But here's the problem with kind of our Americano Christianity is we want the zap of God. We don't want the power of God. We want the zap of God because we've seen it on TV. Bless God. Somebody's in a wheelchair and they get healed. And I'm not saying they don't, but you know, we just expect God to do that at everything that we do. We got these things that are going on in our lives and we just want God. God, would you take care of it? Please. Now, you know, it's like we got this genie, this microwave God. He says, no, 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 no. Here's the deal. I've given you the steps. Go to the mountain, get the timber, come down, do your work. I don't like that. I want you to take care of my bills. No, here's your steps. I've given you a job. You make a living. Live on less than what you make. Work to get out of debt. Pay your bills on time. Oh, God, that's hard. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. My marriage. It isn't good, Lord. I'm not sure what to do. Here's what I recommend that you do. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Take responsibility. Own your junk and apologize for your part. Do what you need to do. Do what you used to do. Send a love note. Send flowers. Surprise and take out. Speak words of love and affirmation. Be kind. Be gracious. That's hard work, Lord. I feel like I'm right. Who cares? See, that, that's what happened when it comes to building our temple. See, it's about character stuff. It's about falsehood. It's about gossip. It's, 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 it's about uncaring hearts. We all have these things in our temple that come up. So a lot of you probably read my email this week. I don't like that. Because I had a friend talk to me and cares about me, loves me. And he talked to me and I could have walked away and felt what I felt and thought what I thought. And this is before I even really got into my study for this week. But I realized this is what I did. I went up to the mountain and I wrote an email. But it didn't stop there. I came down because I had, to, I had some timber that I had to build. You're not going to build, I got to build some of the character stuff in my life. It's an ongoing work. God, I wish, I, I just wish God that when I became a pastor, it was perfect. You know what I mean? And, but so I had to bring down this timber. So this is what the Lord said to me on Friday. He 
I said, what you need to do now is he gave me, and he's been doing this for a few months, but, and it's not, listen, it's not like I just wreck relationships, but I'm in a position where I just, you know, people can get offended by things I say, things I do, and sometimes it's just sin that I do. So I come back, and the Lord says, I want you to write these seven people a note. And, and, and I, meant, I meant this in my email. I said, I'd rather do it publicly, personally, but I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable because I got no problem with that. But I wrote these notes, and probably somebody in this, a couple of people in this room got them by now, or they'll be there in your mailbox Monday, and you'll know. That was my timber. See, it couldn't stop in the restaurant when I met with this brother. He said, there's a few Creeksiders, and I said, okay, then I'm going to take care of all Creeksiders. Ramps up accountability, blah, blah, blah. And then God says, well, that's good. Well, way to go. But there's your temple that really needs to be refurbished. And he says, do this. Now, again, I'm telling you all this. This is on the back end. I didn't do my study yet before this. But I realized, wow. See, that's how we deal with our temple loved ones. It's not easy. I'd rather take the easy wrong than the hard right. And I will screw up in the future. But here's the deal. It's like these people, God speaks to them and they go, wow. Are you going to take the hard right versus the easy wrong? Because it's your temple that God wants to work with today. He's not talking. When he's talking in Haggai, he ain't talking about this building. He's talking about you. He's talking about you. And he's talking about me. He's talking about you. Because that's what he's concerned about. Let me give you a quick encouragement. We're all an unfinished assignment, aren't we? There's all of us. We ever got stuff. What, do I, what am I going to do? See, the best way to get started is to quit talking and start doing Quit talking and start listening to the voice of God's Spirit because He wants to speak to you just like He did Haggai. Do the next thing that God showed you to do. Be faithful to God today because He's faithful to you. Do it. Take care of whatever it is or start moving on whatever He's called you to do. I want you to respond to God's voice. Verse 12, that's what it says. Then the people... They feared the Lord. They obeyed the voice of the Lord. When one responds and start doing the hard right versus the easy wrong, it's amazing what happens. You really become free. You just become freer. Free to be who you are and to live how God's caused you to live. When you take a position of doing the right thing in your marriage, in relationships, in your finances, name the area. It's amazing what happens in those areas because you get on the other side of obedience and you see God working. Because that's what he says. I forgot to read the text. Pick it up in verse 9. I got to backtrack. Are you all right? I'm going to be done. Just a moment. But you expected much, but then it amounted to little. Then you brought the harvest in your house. God says, I ruined it. I don't want God to ruin anything of mine. Why? Why did I do this? This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. Because my house still lies in ruins, which each of you is busy with his own house. So on this account, the skies, because you did this, 
the skies have withheld the dew and the land and its crops. And therefore I summoned a drought on the fields and the hills, on the grain, new wine, olive oil, and whatever the ground yields on the, on the people and the animals and all of that that your hands produce. He's basically saying, you left me no other alternative. I got to bring you back to me. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, and the entire remnant of the people, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the word of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him. So the people, they feared the Lord. See, they heard the voice of the Lord. Haggai, the Lord's messenger, delivered the Lord's message to the people. And this is, this is God. This is what I love about God so much. He says, I love you. I am with you. That's, the, that's what God does. That's, that's the manifestation of God. He says, I came and walked with you in the garden. I came in the New Testament, and I am the God who is the Lord, Yahshua, who is with you. And when we messed up, when we screwed up, when we've done bad, missed the mark, not fulfilled what he has for us. I'm with you. I'm not against you. I'm with you. I don't, you know, I'm not asking you to build in vain. I want to build your temple so it can house my glory. So receive the Lord's, hear the Lord's voice, receive his promise, and lastly, return to the work. How many of us were once excited about serving God, but since then we've grown tired and weary of the squabbling of God's people or the personal attacks or the works of the enemy. And so now we just do this. We're just going to concentrate on our own little life, our own little world. And if that's you, this book is for you. No matter how old these pages are, they remind us it's never too late to start going again. It's never too late to do what God's called us to do. God's stirring some of us, I'm sure. It'll be difficult. We'll be challenged. But with the challenge, he talks about this. We see it is always a spiritual thing with the practical. We can never forget that because Haggai underscores that of God working, God speaking. And in the midst of whatever God calls you to do, it's because his spirit is at work stirring you up and he's got things for you. And that's what I want you to hear today. Philippians 2 talks about this, that it is God who is at work in you to work out his purposes through you.